Hello, this is Helga Edwards, and I'm here with my husband Bob. In our last podcast episode, we read from Genesis chapter 25 in the Common English Bible. We focused on the inheritance rights of firstborn sons in ancient culture, and how this patriarchal human tradition was not a reflection of God's will. Today, our focus is on a common misinterpretation of the biblical prophecy found in Genesis 25, verse 23, where God said to Rebekah, Two nations are in your womb. Two different peoples will emerge from your body. One people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. In some English Bibles, this verse is linked to Malachi 1, verses 1 to 4, and Romans 9, verses 11 to 13. The passage in Malachi reads as follows. The Lord's word to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Wasn't Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? I loved Jacob, but I rejected Esau. I turned Esau's mountains into desolation, his inheritance into a wilderness for jackals. Edom may say, we are beaten down, but we will rebuild the ruins. But the Lord of heavenly forces proclaims, they may build, but I will tear them down. The passage in Romans 9, verses 11 to 13 reads, Rebekah conceived children with one man, our ancestor Isaac. When they hadn't been born yet, and when they hadn't yet done anything good or bad, it was shown that God's purpose would continue because it was based on his choice. It wasn't because of what was done, but because of God's call. This was said to her, the older child will be a slave to the younger one. As it is written, I love Jacob, but I hated Esau. An influential theologian of the 16th century, John Calvin, wrote a number of Bible commentaries. We must keep in mind that a commentary shares someone's interpretation of Bible passages. It is not to be confused with the Bible itself. In one of these commentaries on Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, Calvin wrote, Let the woman be satisfied with her state of subjection, and not take it amiss that she is made inferior to the more distinguished sex. This is a tremendously sexist statement that badly misconstrues the language of Paul's letter. In another of Calvin's commentaries, he interpreted Genesis chapter 25, Malachi chapter 1, and Romans chapter 9 in a manner that makes it very difficult to view God as loving and just. Calvin, citing St. Augustine as a dominant influence, claimed that God arbitrarily chooses certain individuals to go to heaven before they are even born, and that he similarly chooses to condemn certain individuals to hell for no apparent reason. Those chosen for heaven are loved by God, those chosen for hell are allegedly hated. Calvin summarized this viewpoint in Volume 3, Chapter 21, Section 5 of his Institutes of the Christian Religion, which reads as follows. All are not created on equal terms, but some are preordained to eternal life, others to eternal damnation, and accordingly, as each has been created for one or other of these ends, we may say that he has been predestined to life or to death. 
A glance at Genesis 25, verse 23, begins to highlight where John Calvin went wrong. To begin, this passage does not deal with how God treats individuals. Rather, it speaks of his dealing with nations. In this verse, God said to Rebekah, Two nations are in your womb. Two different peoples will emerge from your body. Does this mean that God arbitrarily chose to hate one nation and love another? Absolutely not. There is nothing arbitrary about any of the prophetic statements made in the Bible about Jacob or Esau. Prophecies of judgment against the nation of Edom, the descendants of Esau, are a direct response to specific crimes committed by its leaders. Here is a list of those crimes. When Israel came out of Egypt and wanted to pass through the land of the Edomites to enter into the promised land, the Edomites would not allow it. And that's in Numbers chapter 20, verses 14 to 21. In the days of King Jehoshaphat of Judah, Edom joined with Moab and Ammon to attack Judah, but the Lord fought for Judah and defeated them. You can find that in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 to 27. And also, the Edomites again attacked Judah in the days of King Ahaz. And that is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 17. As a direct response to these crimes, which would later take place, God prophesied in Genesis chapter 25, verse 23, that the nation from the older son Esau would one day serve the nation from the younger son Jacob, also known as Israel. This prophecy was historically fulfilled on more than one occasion. In 2 Samuel 8, verses 13 to 14, we read about King David subduing the Edomites. Again, in the 2nd century BC, according to the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus, the high priest and ruler of Judea, John Hyrcanus, defeated and subjugated Edom. On both of these occasions, the descendants of Esau served the descendants of Jacob in fulfillment of God's prophecy to Rebekah. The Old Testament book of Obadiah also contains prophetic statements against the nation of Edom. In Obadiah verses 3 and 4, God confronts their pride and self-reliance. They put their trust in their mountain fortresses rather than in God. In Obadiah 10, they are again confronted for their violence. Verse 10 reads, Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame, and you will be destroyed forever. This prophecy was fulfilled shortly after the time of Christ. King Herod was an Edomite. Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked Jesus, the Messiah, and sent him to the Roman prefect Pontius Pilate, where he was then condemned to death by crucifixion. And we read this in Luke chapter 23, verses 8 to 25. Shortly after these events, Edom, then known as Idumea, joined in a rebellion against the Roman Empire and was ruthlessly crushed. At this point in human history, the nation of Edom ceased to exist. This is also when Herod's temple was destroyed by the Romans. This fulfilled Jesus' prophecy in Luke chapter 21, verses 5 to 6. 
God knew in advance what the leaders of Edom would choose to do to Israel, to Judah, and to the Messiah. In light of this knowledge, he prophesied against the nation of Edom. John Calvin believed that God knew what would happen in the future because he causes all things to take place, including human sin. The Bible does not teach this anywhere. The point of Paul's message in Romans 9 is not that God is arbitrary. It is that God can choose to pronounce judgment on whom he wills. He chooses to pass judgment on those who relentlessly pursue a path of cruelty and injustice. Sometimes God will even warn of his judgment before the events in question take place. God also has the right to have mercy on whom he wills. Throughout the book of Romans, Paul explains that God has chosen to have mercy on all who are willing to turn from evil and trust that Jesus Christ died on the cross to atone for their sins. In Romans chapter 9, Paul explains that everyone who has faith in the Messiah is regarded by God as spiritually being part of Israel. They will inherit all the blessings of Jacob, also known as Israel, and become citizens of the kingdom of God. This message was unpopular among many of the religious leaders of Paul's day. Those leaders trusted in their own legalistic traditions to make themselves acceptable to God. They thought highly of themselves because of their national identity and looked down on other peoples. They violently persecuted Jesus and his earliest followers, and they abhorred Paul's message that God might also extend mercy to non-Jews called Gentiles. In Romans chapter 9, Paul compares these leaders to the leaders of Edom. For trusting in themselves rather than in God, and for their violent persecution of their neighbors, these leaders would experience God's judgment. On the other hand, God would have mercy, not on those who earned it through their own efforts, but rather on those who received his gift of forgiveness through faith in Jesus, the chosen Messiah. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the Christ. This means that he was chosen by God to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Paul tells us repeatedly that those who trust and follow Jesus are spiritually united with Christ. As a result of this union, we become part of God's chosen people. Once again, this is not an arbitrary choosing. God chose Christ to be the Messiah, and he chose to have mercy on everyone who is united with Christ through faith. Misunderstanding this foundational principle of the gospel message, John Calvin wrongly concluded that God arbitrarily chooses certain individuals for heaven and others for hell. In so doing, Calvin misrepresents all of the New Testament passages that refer to followers of Jesus Christ as the chosen or the elect. In the development of his deterministic and arbitrary theology, John Calvin badly misconstrued Old Testament prophecy concerning the nation of Edom. Unfortunately, this is not the only problem that arises from an improper reading of Genesis chapter 25. It is also the case that many English translations of the Bible use words like hate or despise 
to represent words found in our oldest available Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic manuscripts that carried a subtly different meaning. Genesis 25:34 is a good example of this. Some English translations tell us that Esau, quote, despised his birthright. This is incorrect. In the Hebrew language, this verse tells us that Esau did not sufficiently value his birthright, in that he traded it for a bowl of stew. The language speaks not of hatred, but of misaligned priorities. In the Greek Septuagint version of Malachi 1 verse 3, God does not hate or despise an individual named Esau. Rather, the language indicates that God, quote, will not suffer, unquote. In other words, God will not tolerate the evil that the nation of Edom would one day perpetrate against Israel. According to the Aramaic Targum of Jonathan, God did not hate Edom. Rather, its crimes against Israel would make it, quote, distant from a holy God. John Calvin's commentary paints a terribly distorted portrait of God. It takes biblical prophecy out of context and does not accurately reflect the meaning of the biblical text in its oldest available manuscripts. John Calvin admitted to using a patriarchal and deterministic ancient Greek philosophy as an interpretive guide to the Bible. We explore this in detail in our book entitled, A God I'd Like to Meet, Separating the Love of God from Harmful Religious Traditions. This book can be found on our website, awakedebra.com. Using ancient Greek philosophy as a guide to interpreting the Bible badly obscures its intended meaning. God does not hate individuals and arbitrarily condemn them to hell. In fact, the following passages in the New Testament directly contradict John Calvin's claims. Quote, For God loved the world so much that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not die, but have eternal life. We read that in John chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Peter 3, 9 reads, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And Matthew 5, verse 44, Jesus himself taught his followers not just to love their friends, but also their enemies. Quote, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Unquote. When confronting the religious leaders of his day for loving people selectively, God told them a parable explaining that they must love their neighbor. The moral of the story was that everyone was their neighbor, regardless of race or nationality. That story is found in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. When reading commentaries of the Bible, we must be careful to remember that human beings make mistakes. We are capable of bias and prejudice. Again, a commentary is someone's interpretation of the Bible. It is not to be confused with the Bible itself. We must be careful to separate oppressive human traditions from the will of God. One of these traditions is patriarchy, otherwise known as the rule of men. Another is the monstrous idea 
that God predestined certain individuals to an eternity in hell because he arbitrarily hates them. As the words and example of Jesus tell us, nothing could be further from the truth.